Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. On this show, we have discussed the importance of movement and exercise to the process of learning. Susie Kuntz shared research on the impact of math and movement, and today we are going to hear from two professors regarding their experience and findings with the importance of movement to teaching and knowledge acquisition. My first guest, Dr. Linnea Lighting, is an assistant professor and interim department chair of the education department at Arizona Christian University. In 2012, after 18 years of teaching in Phoenix public and private elementary schools, Linnea completed her doctorate in leadership and innovation at Arizona State University. Her dissertation and final action research dealt with the incorporation of movement and gestures, embodied cognition, into instruction, in order to increase student engagement and learning. As a college professor, her work with pre-service teachers allows her to pass on her passion to see all children overcome obstacles and succeed in school. Dr. Lighting also has an MED in elementary education with an emphasis in reading and a BS in early childhood and special education. Lania, welcome to the show. Thank you. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? It's uh, Linnea. Okay. So very, very uh, close. <laughs> I apologize for that. That's I fine. Yeah, greatly appreciate you coming on the show. Um, Linnea, when did you start using movement and gestures in your classroom? You know, I started off my career as a special education teacher and then um, became a reading specialist. And so as I worked with students to help them um, really understand what they were learning, I, I had a lot of students who had trouble sitting still, so I started thinking about how can I incorporate movement and fun into their learning. Um, so that's kind of when I started it. I started, uh, you know, thinking about if we talk about a short vowel, we would we actually stand up and talk about a short vowel and get short, you know, scrunch down and talk about a long vowel and stand up on our tiptoes. And I found that then when I was sitting with them and I was doing some guided reading with them, that they would make those movements when they were reading and they, when they were trying to figure out a word. And I would say, well, what kind of vowel is it? They would scrunch down and say, it's short. You know, so they, so I saw them starting to make that connection between the actions that we were doing and their reading, which was, which was my goal. So partially think, just because I had active students. Yeah. And that, that sounds interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Susie Kuntz, but she wrote the book Math and Movement and she, she came up with a, a similar a process, but involving uh, math instead of uh, um, uh, grammar, as, as you did. Yes, I um, I actually listened to her show that you had when you had her on, and mm-hmm. kind of and then looked at her website and, and looked around, and it was kind of interesting to me because some of the things that she is doing are are some of the same things that I did in similar or similar ways in my classroom. Um, we I used to make a clock on the floor and we would walk the time on the clock and count by fives or walk to find out where the hour hand was and um, we did we I would make a huge hundred chart on the ground and you know we would 
be walking around to see whether we rounded up or rounded down and, and some of those kinds of things. So a lot of those, some of those things are very similar to what I saw on her website. So now, pretty did, cool. Excellent. Now, did you, did you just sense a greater, uh, or acquisition and retention of the information when a student's learned it through movement? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, so when I did, when I did my research, um, we, we really saw in the classroom a, a big difference in the retention and, 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 and the depth of understanding. So, um, we did a lot of it with vocabulary and the teachers were making statements like, this is the first time that my students are writing sentences that make sense. This is the first time that my students, all of my students are getting 100%. Um, and that was a big deal because two of the classes that I worked with had all of the special education students, all the students who are on IEPs in their classes. So one classroom, the, actually the teacher who said all of her students are getting 100%, she had um, eight students, at least eight students on IEPs in that classroom. So they were they were understanding it, understanding and learning it, I mean, using it properly. So that was exciting. Excellent. Now, now, why did you decide to write your dissertation on purposeful plan movement? So as I was um, in, you know, as a special education teacher, I was in and out of the classroom, and I did movement in my resource classroom, and I wanted to see if it would work in the in a classroom of 30 kids and how it could work in a classroom of 30 kids. Um, so I, I talked to the teachers at our school, and I actually sent a survey out and and asked them if they um, felt that movement was an important piece of, of learning, and they, they did. 100% of the people who responded said yes, they thought movement was important. But they didn't really use it, and the reasons they didn't use it was they didn't feel like they had the time, they were worried that students would get out of control, and they weren't really sure how to do it. So I thought it seemed like a good place to, to start, to give it a try, to see if we could figure out how to make it work in the classroom. Now, did you do you also find that um, simply being physically active also benefits the the learning as opposed to the strictly purposeful planned movement? But having kids, for example, who have uh, physical education every day or recess every day, have you found that to be beneficial? Yeah. So um, in the book Spark, I think you might have referred to it in something else. They they actually did some research on that which was really exciting because if they elevated their heart rate and then they gave them their content classes, they saw that the retention was higher, um, which was one thing that I thought about, but it was just a little bit more complicated to, to actually set up um, in my situation. So, yes, that makes a difference. I didn't measure that, but I've seen research on that. I just find it very interesting. I, I was able to meet a couple of years ago, uh, Dr. John Ratty, who wrote Spark. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how many disciplines are coming to movement to improve their, um, their, the quality of, of learning. For example, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Ratty comes out of the world of, uh, psychiatry. Um, you know, Susan Kuntz comes out of a math background. You're coming right. out of special education and reading. It's almost like everyone's coming to the same conclusion. And that is that you cannot separate movement from the teaching and learning process. Right, right. Or that the teaching that movement can enhance the teaching and learning process is, Absolutely. is is what I like to think. And so when I talked about purposeful planned movement and the reason that I did that was because I wanted teachers to think about um three movement in three different ways. One, you know, total physical response, which is something that's been used 
in uh, in English language learners uh, before, but but where they're just completely in the role play situation, but also just incorporating gestures and 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 research has shown that when you use gestures, it actually frees up space in the working memory because some of that um, information is offloaded onto the gestures so they can actually mm. learn more information. And then activity breaks. And Dr. Mahar has done you know, some research on that where he just went in and said, hey, I'm going to get these students up and moving for you know, 10 to 20 minutes um, at certain times during the day. And, and they saw an increase in, in engagement from that. So there's lots of different ways um, that they could use it. And what I did with the activity breaks was, I think that's the article that you read of mine, where I really wanted to make those activity breaks so they were up and moving. Blood was flowing to their brain, but they were actually doing something academic at the same time. Exactly. In fact, I'm looking at your article right now, which I've read a a couple of times. Uh, Why don't you share some of the specifics? I know you shared... uh the syllable, some of the syllable types, but you also have ball toss and gypsy geography. Uh, why don't you share a couple of those with us? Yeah, so, you know, with tossing the ball, it's just a matter of I have several beach balls that have um, questions on them or they have numbers on them or letters on them. And, and just, um, you know, I would throw, I would throw a ball and, and with numbers on it and the students, whatever, whatever two numbers their hands would, would land on, they would they would just multiply those two numbers. So that was just a way to kind of have them in the middle of class and I could I could have them stand up and we're just going to do something a little bit different. Um, it's not a whole lot of movement, but they're standing up and, and, and moving. The, the gypsy geography, you know, in Arizona, we have such a diverse um, landscape. If you go from the desert to the mountains and in Phoenix, they can, they study, you know, in, in fourth grade, they study, Arizona. So if they're standing in a classroom and they're studying Arizona and you have the directions on the wall, you could say, okay, I'm going to go up north and everybody turns and faces north. And I'm going to go up to Snowball and we're going to pretend like we're skiing down Snowball. So the students will, and the students would generate that, what direction they want to go, what they're going to go visit. You know, I'm going to go hike the Grand Canyon. You know, I'm going to go hike Camelback Mountain, which is, is in Phoenix. You know, they can choose different things that they're going to go, places they're going to go, and they can turn that direction and do that movement. So they're reviewing in their head what they know about the state of Arizona, and they're getting up and moving at the same time. Excellent. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. You mentioned um, English language learners and how uh, movement helped them acquire language quicker. Now, I'm pretty sure Arizona has a huge um, Spanish population and, and, and non-English speakers. Um mm-hmm. Have you worked directly with the English language learners? I've worked. I haven't worked directly with them, um, other than just the students that are in my class. You know, in the classes that I've had. So mm-hmm. some of my students were learning English as a second language. Um, so they then participated in the activities that we were doing. But we do have a huge population, and one of um, one of the uh, my associates. Uh, that's what her career was in was in, in teaching English language learners, and she has said to me many times, she goes, I wish I would have known about all of this movement that you're doing because that is something I really could have used with, with my students. Um, she did some things, but not quite as, not, not to the extent that we do it here now. Mm-hmm. And do you find that uh, student teachers, uh, students who are, who are going into the profession anew are, are more apt to use your strategies? They are. They, they, love using the strategies um, 
They use them, you know, when they're practicing in the classroom with us, um, and then they use them again when they go out in the field. In fact, one of our student teachers recently was doing cause and effect, and, and the students were acting out. After they were paired up, they were acting out their cause and effect, you know, so like physically moving, you know, like this is, they would say, this is what happened and the effect was, and then they did it. Um, so I've seen them just put that right into play into their into their classrooms a lot. In fact, they'll often say, "I was trying to figure out how I could add movement in this in this lesson that I did." But we're, we see them using it all the time when they're out there in the field. Uh, that is excellent. Uh, and in fact, the more I speak with 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 educators and researchers like yourself, I, I almost wish I can get a do over and start at pre-K and go through again because there's so there's so much we right. have so much more information now thanks to research we do. We do. and and um you know through movement through through um music and art and mm-hmm. and i'm just you know i i speak to uh, individuals like yourself and i say wow i just want to you know jump back into the classroom right um um Share a little bit more about what the research says. We we have to take a break in about a minute, but I want to get started talking about what else the research tells us. Yeah, so I was really excited when I got the approval to do it. Um, I was really excited when I started doing my literature review and what I found out. You know, I found out the piece about engagement. I think I told you, Dr. Mahar, when he when he was just had students get up and do some activity breaks. They had measured engagement before and measured engagement during, and they found in the regular classroom, they found 8% more engagement, but with students that were highly distractible, they found that their engagement was 20% higher. So when I mentioned before that some of my some of the teachers felt like they didn't have the time, just think about the reteaching time you'd have to do with those students on the time that they've normally missed. Um, another is the emotional connection, and that's something that we saw. The students were so excited about um, what they were doing. Um, and when they, you know, the research shows us that when they're enjoying it, they, they learn more, they remember more. Um, uh, so, like, for example, in, our, in my research that I did in the classroom, we found that we had, we measured three different times during the lesson, um, at the, kind of at the beginning, the middle, and the end. Uh, and we measured for, actually, I should say, we measured six different times uh, during a, a regular lesson, we measured behavioral engagement, emotional engagement, and student voice. Um, and we found during the entire lesson, the average was 96 to 99 percent engagement. That wow. included all of the students. And, and, the, and the teachers even mentioned, and then some of the students who, some of our students with autism who weren't, didn't seem to be paying attention during the beginning part at the end when they had to do the independent practice, they were fully engaged and they had all, and they knew what they were doing. So, so some of that engagement that we didn't measure because we didn't think they were paying attention, they really were. Um, there's, there's uh, some research that was done by Golden Meadows that said, um, they did, they worked with some fourth grade students, third and fourth grade students on teaching them some uh, math, some mathematical equivalence problem, and they divided them into three groups. One where they only used words, one where they used words and gestures, and one where they only used gestures. And they assessed them all at the end, and they they pretty much all did the same. And a month later, it showed that the gestures made a huge difference. It didn't matter if it was only gestures or words Mm -hmm. and gestures, but it had to be the gestures that those students did significantly better then the students who only had the words, their retention wasn't there. So again, wow. when we think about time, 
if we don't have to reteach, our time mm-hmm. is huge. So, um, and, and I, this was one of the most interesting things I found was that gesturing seems to be innate. People who are bl- have been blind since birth gesture, even though they've never seen anyone else do it. So that kind of yeah. leads you to believe that it's it's something that we do for ourselves. It helps us remember things. Exactly. Actually, this is great information, but at this time we need to take a short break. But stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, Linnea Lighting. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on Talk Zone. Uh, Linnea, can you share with us the difference between uh, movement used in the classroom and brain breaks? Yes. So, I mean, brain breaks are a great strategy that teachers have been using. Um, I popped into a class a month or so ago, and, and a teacher showed me the brain breaks she was using, which were cards that just had activities where students got up and did something. Um, and, and so she asked me if I wanted to do some with the students, so I read one of them to her. And and I thought about it more afterwards that, you know, the students got up and then I would just say freeze and they would freeze. And so then I decided to go around and tap them on the shoulder and say, you know, tell me what you're doing or what you're frozen as. But really the difference would be if we did that after reading a story and I said, okay, you just move, 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 and now freeze. Now I'm going to tap you on the, on the shoulder and I'm going to say, tell me what part of the story you're acting out. Tell me what's happening right now. So the, if they, if the students are then, then they're connecting it to their comprehension. In fact, tableaus is something that, that I've done before with my students where they just freeze like a picture representing something in the story. So they're like stepping into the story, pretending that they're part of that story. And then when I tap them on the shoulder, they're taking on that character and thinking about what it's like. So I, I did that with a, a book on Jackie Robinson, and, and and students were, I mean, they really had to think what it was like in that day and age because it's so foreign to them. But mm-hmm. it really helped them connect to the civil rights movement then. They really made, it made them understand better what was going on. Wow, this, no, you, you, you sound so passionate when you when you speak of the things you've done in a classroom. Uh, yeah. What have uh, administrators said when they first uh, experienced your classroom? You know, I've actually had extremely supportive administrators. Um, I think, uh, you know, one one administrator, what what she said to me was, okay, so I was working with my students and we were doing phonemes um, in in the in a reading class, and so I would let them choose whatever movement we would do for those phonemes, so so just to really help them remember it. Well, one of their favorites is push-ups. So, you know, we would, they, they would pick a word. I, I had different ways that they got a word, but so they got the word cat, which would be super simple. But, so then they would jump up, they would choose, they would choose push-ups, they would jump up out of their seats, go over, and we would at, and we would have three steps to our push-up, and then we would blend it, so one more push-up, cat, and then we'd go right back to the seat. And so the, what the principal said to me was, I, I'm just really surprised at how you can get those students, they're up, they're over there, they do it, and they're back in their seat, which I think is the biggest piece that 
um, when you're doing the movement. So it's it's fun. The students love it. It's engaging. You just have to, they just have to know that they have to follow the rules. And then principals don't mind because they can see that they're learning, but they're not, and they're not getting out of control. And do you find when, when kids enjoy the activity, they try even harder to make sure they're within the rules so they can continue playing? So it's actually the activity itself is why they're more uh, disciplined? I, I do find that. And and I've always just kind of had a matter-of-fact attitude of, you know, it's your choice. You know, if you want to do this with us, that's great. It's going to be fun. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. You're just going to sit over here, and I've got an alternative activity for you. So they, you know, sometimes they find out if that's going to happen. And so they do maybe sit out for one time, and they usually are tell me they're ready to come back and jump in. Um, but that's usually about all it takes because they, they really want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't they they know that if they push the limits that they've got something else that they can do by themselves and it's kind of boring but it's still covering the same material so they're pretty good about it then yeah now now I'm curious what what are the rules or or the the laws re, with regards to physical education in for elementary students in Arizona like in New York uh, grades K through three are required to have physical education every day and I'm just curious if if there's similar laws in place in Arizona. You know, I'm going to tell you, I don't know exactly what the laws are. In our the last district that I was in, we had um, physical education three days a week. Okay. So yeah, we, we, I think it seems to vary between schools or districts. Mm-hmm. And I and and, and I know here it's uh, K through three is every day for a minimum of 20 minutes a day, whereas uh, grades four and five are three times a week and of course in high school and middle schools it's it's every other day um but i just i just i'm curious because i know how important movement is um mm-hmm. as per spark for example and right. especially when it's, it's there are things that movement benefits that we may not even consider in the forefront such as um hyperactivity and um adhd and uh mental illness and you know so it's just very important that um, not only in a classroom through instruction as, as you teach and you have done, but also just in general that we keep kids moving. Right. And that, and that's part of, that was part of my concern too. And the reason why I wanted to see how it would work in the classroom is because, you know, there's just more information out there in the world. We have more information to teach our students. How can we do it in a developmentally appropriate way? And keep them moving and going. And so what, so I really wanted to explore what can work in a classroom of 30 kids to, just to see how we could do that. So we don't have them sitting all day. Yeah. And, and do you find that, uh, over the years as we become more, um, test oriented and accountability conscious that movement has become less and less because everyone's concerned about let's teach to the test. We have to get this information out. Um, or do you think it's it's always it's just a, a teacher's personal fear that has caused us to get where we are? You know, I think a lot of it is the testing coming down, and so people are feeling like they have to spend the time getting getting through the information, and so then you just kind of start to revert to I have to get that information out, and we've you know we don't have time to do these other things. So I, that's why I really wanted to show them that actually you're increasing your time. And you're increasing your depth of knowledge, which so it matches so nicely with the Common Core because, you know, we're looking to, for students to go deeper 
instead of just learning a bunch of stuff on the surface. And I think you explained it so well. Actually, I haven't even, I never thought of it in that uh, regard as the, as the fact that you don't need to reteach as often as where you're saving the time. I never actually thought of using that uh, approach when, when talking to teachers. I always use the approach of the science and the, and the, the blood flow to the brain and the oxygen and the concentration improves, which is also true. But right. just for them to understand that they would have to do less t- reteaching also shows them right. how much time they can save. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is, what are some of the key components that teachers need to remember when they start using movement in their classrooms? Well, I think that they, you know, in addition to just really providing that structure. So when we would get up and do, you know, say the jumping jacks or, or push-ups or whatever, the students knew they had their space. They had to have that space. There was, it was not time to poke other people. And so I think that structure is, is really important. Um, and then I think it's important to use it. So we did a lot with vocabulary. So then we use that gesture every time we use the vocabulary. So it got to the point where sometimes students were just using the gesture. In fact, we would even do kind of quizzes using the gesture and they would come up with the vocabulary. So just making sure that you repeat the movement to help them remember it, you know, and and eventually the movement itself will help them remember it and they won't need any of the words that go with it. So I think those two things are are very important. And then if you do something with vocabulary, we would have a group of students do one vocabulary word, another group of students would, would create a movement for another then keep that consistent that way. So there, there's that, there's that part where you want students to come up, you want them to have the ownership by having them come up with the, the movement or the gesture that you're going to use for it. But then at the same time, you can't have 30 different movements for the same word or else mm-hmm. you're going to lose the effect of it. So just remembering, so we would do things, sometimes we would vote and say this is the one that we feel is the best representation. It needs to, represent the word so like for example for remainder we would use the sign language which we tell them sign language for r and we would just pull that our our hand off to the side because that's what's left over after you're done with your with your division you know or we would make a cross with our arms and say groups of for um for multiplication but it has to somehow make a connection to um to the word. It has to be meaningful. It can't just be a gesture for the sake of a gesture. And mm-hmm. it can't and it can't be like charades. It's not the same as charades. It really needs to connect to what the meaning of the word is so that they make that connection and think about it in a deeper way. Excellent. You know, um you and Susie Kuntz would be an incredible tag team. Um and she's very approachable. I would I would encourage you to reach out to her because I, I've had her at okay. you know, come to come to my district and do workshops and just the two of you mm-hmm. together would so so change the climate of a building because you're coming from similar perspectives but completely different uh um curriculum areas. Yeah. Not, yeah. You know, and it's just it's just like wow, what a powerful uh, dual presentation that would be. I, I just, I'm just really thinking off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> uh, lastly, what grade levels can the strategies be used in? Well, you know, they can be used in all grade levels. Um, I was just reading, uh, not too long ago, I read an article um, about a somebody who became a teacher coach for high school, and the first assignment that the principal gave her was to spend a day as a student. 
And after spending, and she spent two days, she went to two different students. Her key takeaway number one, this is high school students, was that they sit all day long and sitting is exhausting. Mm. And she said, other than walking between classes, which we all think, oh, they got up and walked between classes, sitting was exhausting. So one of the research one of the researchers I uh, read was uh, Buzan, I think is how you pronounce his name. He did they 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 recreated the circulatory system where students were were exchanging red and blue balloons as um, as blood became oxygenated, and you know, and they're talking to each other and teaching each other about it along the way. So there are things you can do even in the high school level and college level. Um, and, and I do an activity I call it musical chairs and. Students have to get up and walk. Uh, I ask them about questions uh, that connect to their background knowledge that will connect them to the new information that I'm going to be teaching them, and it really helps them then learn about and make connections to that material. So there is, um, you know, in the tableaus that I talked about, you can do that at all different ages, reenacting scenes from social studies. You can do that at all different ages, or even if it's just all of the Kagan activities of, you know, going, you know, voting with your feet. I think this is more important. I think this is mm. more important. You go to different sides of the room. All of those kinds of things um, are are a big deal. I just read in a in a book. Uh, I was looking at some of the research for college, and they said even if you just have students stand up and sit down, you're you're making that blood flow to their head. But I think Absolutely. that's good learning. So. Excellent, excellent. Um, we have been speaking with Dr. Linnea Lighting, Assistant Professor and Interim Department Chair of the Education Department at Arizona Christian University. Linnea, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Stay tuned because our next guest will discuss how movement impacts upon attention and self-regulation. <laughs> 